First Peter chapter one. We're going to start in verse 10, but verse 13 is really, really what we're going to be looking at. Um, but if you notice the therefore in verse 13, you realize that we have to at least get a little bit of context here. So, <clears throat> 1 Peter 1.10 As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again this morning and we ask for water from on high. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on this place and that you would open our eyes. You would give help in the preaching. You would give help in the hearing. You would help us to hear what the spirit says to the church. We confess this morning, Lord, ours is the need and yours is the supply. Ours is the hope. Yours is the promise. Ours is the weakness. Yours is the strength. Lord, would you breathe life into your church this morning? Would you stir us up? Would you open our eyes to behold this glorious salvation? And may that vision propel us into more Christ-likeness as we leave this place. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Peter is writing this epistle. This is a letter that he wrote to people facing difficulties. Difficulties or trials. Um, various difficulties. You'll notice back up in verse 6, he says, If... Um, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various difficulties. And if you've ever just sat down and read through this book in one sitting, you know that this is a book about trials. It's a book about difficulties. It's a book for people that are facing various trials. And there are people here this morning, many people, that are facing trials. Various difficulties. It could be something at home. Home is, is just not the refuge that it should be. It can be something at work, either with a colleague or a boss. It can be a myriad of things, yet it's a difficulty. And that's, that's what Peter is, is addressing here. And so this morning, we share a common place with the recipients of this letter. This letter is timeless. It speaks to us this morning because it speaks to people who are facing difficulties. You notice here in verse 13, he gives the exhortation, therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Um, the English Standard Version may say it a little bit better. And I read several things on this, and it, it seems like it's right. It says, therefore, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, set your hope. All right? So you, you get the same truth, but you may, just, you may see the accent a little bit better. These first two commands of preparing your mind and keeping sober-minded or sober in spirit serve to undergird and serve this final thing of fixing your hope. In other words, the big thing in this passage is that your hope must be protected. It must be protected at all costs. Beloved, we can afford to lose a lot this morning. We can afford to lose our jobs. We can afford to lose our homes. We can afford to lose about absolutely everything but hope. We cannot, we cannot afford to lose hope. And it is for this reason that Peter takes up his pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and begins to write this letter. Because you can't lose hope. Why can't you lose hope? Why can't you just be like the people that you see in the movies and all the war heroes that you have, you hear about? They just grit their teeth. And you know, when all these difficulties come, they just broaden their shoulders. And with a brazen face, they just face reality and just kind of muster up self-will to make it through. Why can't we do that? Well, that makes for wonderful Hollywood movies, but it makes for very, very poor Christianity. Why? Turn with me to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, just two books over to the right. Alright, look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Why? Because we will see Him just as He is. Alright? Transformation happens at the second coming. The final glorification of the Christian when He, in both body and character and absolutely every way, is transformed into the image of Christ. It happens by sight. You see something. You see Him. And that vision transforms you. Alright? Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope. Alright? So we're on our same, our same theme, same concept. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself. That is the way that you become Christ-like. It's by having your hope fixed on Him. There is effort in the Christian life. There is violence in the Christian life. But it is more of a negative thing. It's like, it's like opening the shade so that you let the sunlight in so that the flower can receive this light and, and the nutrition that it needs. It's removing the obstacles. That's all self-denial is. And that is all that, that holy Christian violence against sin is. Is you're just trying to make sure that your view stays clear. Now, the Bible talks about this a lot. It talks about the beginning of salvation happening in this way. You remember in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, 
Paul describes salvation as God shining the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ into a person's heart. And that vision with the transforming grace of God saves a person. And you become a new creation. What does he say um, later on, or actually a little bit earlier, about how we become more Christ-like in the Christian life? He says, but we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being changed into that image from glory to glory. So not only does salvation happen by a spiritual apprehension of Christ... Conformity to Christ and sanctification happens in the same way. And we just read in 1 John 3 that the final transformation will happen in this way. Through spiritually seeing Christ. We must protect this hope. We must protect this sight at all cost. And difficulties can be a wonderful thing because what difficulties do is remind you that, beloved, you are not home. You're not home. Anyone who has read their Bible is not surprised by difficulties. Did Christ not tell us in John chapter 16, in this world what? You you will have tribulation. Peter says later on in this very epistle in chapter 4, he says, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal among you. Nothing strange is happening here. Christ told us this would happen. And that is what is so wicked about a weak, watered-down gospel that tells you that, you know, just come to Christ and your life is going to be fine. He's going to fix all your problems. No, in many ways, when you become a Christian, your real problems begin. Because at one time, you were flowing in the channel of the world. And then when you become a Christian, you're not taken out of the world. You're turned in the opposite direction. And now you're swimming upstream. In this world you will have tribulation. And God will use these tribulations. He will use these hard times. He will use that home is not the refuge it should be. He will use these situations at work. He will use the situation with distant relatives. Or whatever the difficulty facing you this morning may be. To help cultivate this. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're not home. But difficulties also pose a serious threat. A serious threat. And that is why there is so much about it in the New Testament. And that is why in John chapter 16, some of Christ's last words, He is reminding them, you're going to have tribulation. Why do difficulties pose such a serious threat? Because difficulties put up a mirror and say, look at all the bad things that are happening. In other words, difficulties make you look here. But you don't thrive by looking here. You thrive by looking there. And so when difficulties come, they begin to vie for your attention. And they put up this mirror in front of you. And beloved, you don't become more like Christ in front of a mirror. You become more like Christ by setting aside the mirror and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And difficulties pose a serious threat in this way. Because you, you get in this thing and you're just being hit from all sides. And you, can't, you feel like you can't even catch your breath. And you've got a, you feel like a vice is on your head. And there's so much pressure. And all of a sudden you find yourself in self-pity. And, and you're just looking within at all of the bad things that are happening. And your spiritual vitality is gone. And you walk around into a, in a daze. We've all been there. We know what that's like. And Peter is trying to protect us from that. He's trying to protect us from that. So what's the solution? 
Number one, we need to figure out where the battle is. And number two, we need to learn how to fight. And we need to find out where the strength that will come from for us to fight this battle. So where is the battle? Where is the battle? Let me read this to you again um, in the ESV. You tell me where you think the battle is going to be. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. Where's the battle? Your mind. Your mind. Now, this is not novel with Peter. Paul the Apostle also said this. 2 Corinthians 10, just listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of forces. All right, we've got fighting language here. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about fighting. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every thought, every thought, captive to the obedience of Christ. That is the thing this morning. And this is, this is extremely helpful. Because see, what happens when difficulties come? you got this thing happening here at home. you got this other thing happening over here. And you feel like that the battle is all over the place. But in reality, there is only one place where you have to watch. There is only one way that you can stumble in the Christian life. And that is this, to believe something that's not true. Now that's helpful. Because it doesn't matter. You can have 10,000 trials going on at the same time. But you've just got to watch one spot. I must believe what God says is true and reject everything else. Everything that comes through that one spot into my mind, I take it to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, what do you think about this? And He answers you through His Word. Either it goes or you let it come in. You've got one place to watch in the Christian life. One place. Make sure that you are believing God. And do not let the devil trick you into trying to watch 10 million places and staring and watching all these circumstances. Don't do that. Watch the one opening. You know, at the Battle of Thermopylae, any of you who have studied history, you know that that is where um, a few hundred Greeks held off 10, well actually, they killed 10,000 Persians. Battle of Thermopylae. It's an amazing story. You know how they did it? Because at that spot, they made them walk through this canyon. And so what they did is, they got in the most narrow spot in the canyon. You can't deal with 10,000 people at one time, but you sure can deal with a couple of hundred of them at one time. And that's all that could get through that one spot. And so these Spartans went to hacking and to hacking these Persians. And like I said, even though you can't deal with thousands of them, these Persians were only able to come through this one small opening. So you fight one guy at the time, it doesn't matter how many come if you've got enough stamina. 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 <laughs> and pronunciation. The same is true of castles. You know, if you look at, if you've ever looked at castles, they seem almost <laughs> completely impractical. The stairways. They've got these super tight, winding stairways that go up. I mean, you would think they would have been able to figure out something different from that because it's just, it, it doesn't even make sense. But it makes perfect sense if you're thinking about defending a king. Again, you get 10,000 people trying to march on a place, it doesn't take much to guard that one spot. 
They got to come up that stairway. And only about two of them, one, maybe two of them can fit in at one time. And you can fight one or two guys at one time. You can't fight 10,000 people at one time. What does this do? It reiterates the point that Peter is trying to make here. Watch your mind. Don't get caught up in your circumstances. Make sure you are believing God and that is all you have to worry about. The Lord Jesus Christ will take care of absolutely everything else. You just watch that one opening. Watch that one opening. That's why there are so many exhortations in the New Testament about the mind. You know most of them. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things of above. Peter, I mean Paul, in Philippians chapter 4 gives you a list of things to think about. That's amazing. Your mind, your mind. And that is why... In almost every epistle, they lay down doctrine first. They want you to think something. They want your mind filled with good, strong stuff before they ever tell you to do anything. And that is why what Brother Dick did for us on Wednesday, that is so practical. That is so practical. Just tell us about God. Tell me about His incomprehensibility. Tell me about His transcendence. Tell me about His omnipotent, His powerful, His His might, His strength. Tell me He knows everything and let me see that. That is so practical. John Piper tells the story of one time at one of his services. He preached Isaiah chapter 6 in the glory of God and made absolutely no application. None. No, you ought to do this or you ought to do that. And while that's probably not a good thing to do as a steady diet, it sure is good to do sometimes. Because that vision of the glory of God was later told by him, by a young couple, of how much it helped them. This young couple came up to him, I think that it was a young couple, um, a couple of months later, and I, 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 they had just had a big tragedy. It may have been something like the loss of a child. And they came to him and said, the only thing that has sustained us through these months of just crushing tragedy is that vision of the glory of God. We need God. We need to know about God. We need to think thoughts about God. We need a mind saturated with God. Good, pure, biblical doctrine. You don't survive without doctrine. You can relinquish it to a select group of people who finds it fascinating to study. That is not the New Testament. Beloved, realize the book of Romans was not written to a seminary student. It was written to Christians. Peter is not laying down these wonderful truths about salvation in verses 1 through 12 to a bunch of ivory tower theologians. These are people just like me and just like you that have jobs, crying babies, bills to pay, family members with with troubles, all kinds of sorts of things. That's who he's writing to. We need God. We desperately need to be God, to meet God. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1. So how are we going to safeguard this? Peter gives us two ways. Number one, you're going to prepare your mind for action. And number two, you're going to keep sober in spirit. So you must safeguard your mind, and that that is the two ways. One keeps you from getting entangled. The other keeps you from getting sedated. Alright? 
Let's take the first one. Safeguard your mind by preparing it for action. Um, if you've got an NASB or a King James, the ESV may have this, I'm not sure. You've got a little one right there in front of that phrase. Look over in the column and see what it literally says. The literal here is gird up, uh, gird the loins of your mind. Alright? So gird the loins of your mind. It's kind of a strange phrase, but it makes perfect sense to people who are sitting there in Peter's days. Because they had these flowing robes. And so what they would do is, is they would take those robes and bring them up and tuck it into their belt. Alright? Flowing robe, bring it up, tuck it into your belt. Let's look at an instance of this. Turn with me to 1 Kings. Chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. We're going to start in verse um, 40, probably 45, but let me give you a little background here. Elijah has just finished... Um, actually, God, it would be more proper to say, has just vindicated His name. Fire has fallen from heaven. He commands the prophets of Baal to be slain. And then He tells Ahab this. A little context, there had been a drought for a long time. He says, you better get ready because it's going to rain. And then Elijah goes up to pray. And he sends his servant to the sea seven times. And finally his servant comes back and says, I see a little cloud coming up out of the sea. And Elijah says, we, we better get going because I, I hear the sound of a heavy, a heavy shower. Verse 45. In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and out ran Ahab to Jezreel. Alright, Elijah girded up his loins. Now let me ask you a question. Why did Elijah gird up his loins? He wanted to run. And that is the question that Peter is saying that you must ask of every thought you let enter your mind. Every movie that you watch, every television show you see, every internet site you go to, every conversation that you have, you must ask this question, will this help me run? Will this help me run? We do not ask minimalist questions. Is this okay? Is this permissible? You know, how close can I get to the line of sin and still be okay? That's not the question you ask. Peter is saying, look, this thing is too dangerous. You need to be asking of absolutely everything that happens, will this help me run? Will this thought help me to run? You bring it to Christ. If Christ says no, you cut it loose. Will this help me run? Peter... Um, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. Let me just read you this to you. 2 Timothy 3, 2, 3 through 4. He says, suffer hardship with me. Alright, so we're in the same context here. We got hardship. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. He says, suffer hardship with me. 
Don't get entangled in the everyday affairs of life. Now, you can go to seed on that pretty easy and you can start to become a monk. That's not, what, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a mind that is not encumbered by unnecessary, unprofitable thoughts. Unnecessary, unprofitable actions. So the question that we will ask of every thought, will this help me run? That's the first thing. The second thing, we're, we're to safeguard our mind by being sober-minded. Are sober in spirit. And this is, this is such a temptation. Because when the world starts weighing in on you and these circumstances start coming down on you, you just want relief. You, just, you want relief. And any way that you can get relief oftentimes becomes the avenue by which you get relief. And so we go and we just we veg out for hours on end. Now, there is a right place for letting your mind unwind. You simply cannot keep your mind wound up all the time. But you know the difference of what we're talking about here. We're talking about that your normal method of dealing with difficulty is to just veg out and not think about it. And Peter's so concerned at this. Turn, um, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He brings this up a couple of times in this little letter here. He says this, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound, mind, sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now let me ask you something. If you are given to sedating your mind, either through levity, you know, and here's the thing about levity, you know, well levity is kind of a, a Bible word, a little bit archaic, but basically what it means is just mindlessness, just foolishness. Um, there's no real content there, you're just... Your mind is just kind of run away with itself. It gets intoxicated with itself. I have found that in my life, any time that I seek out levity, it's because I'm trying to get away from something. It's because I'm trying to get away from something. I don't want to face some point of reality, and especially before I was a Christian, it's like anything I could get to not have to look at reality was the thing I was gravitating toward. So if that is your natural gravitation, beware. Beware. But look at what he says here. Look at why he says he wants you to be sober-minded. For the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. The logical opposite of that is, is that if you are not sober-minded, you're going to have a really hard time praying. If your life, all of the time, every time you go to prayer, throughout the entire time of prayer, you, you have just major problems praying. Now, I'm not talking about the normal... You know, just struggles that every Christian has in prayer. I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the hardest thing the Christian has to do is to pray. That's an amazing statement. It is a battle oftentimes. But if you absolutely never break through, you might want to check if throughout the day you're just sedating your mind. You're just letting, you're not thinking, you know, you're just, you're just letting go all the time. And you, you just let your mind just kind of wander wherever so that you don't have to face reality. It's a danger. It is a danger. So here's the two questions that we will ask from these verses. Number one, will this help me run? And number two, will this help me stay alert? Those are the two questions that we ask for every situation that we face, every thought that tries to enter our mind. Remember, we're only watching one spot. One spot. And we ask those two questions. And depending on how they answer, we either turn them away or we let them come in. Now here's the thing. 
Where are we going to get the strength to do something like this? You know, you already have these difficulties that are crushing down on you, and the last thing that you want to do is to try to start thinking. It's the last thing. I feel it too. I feel it too. Apparently, Peter's recipients felt it also. But, and apparently, Peter felt it too because he could describe it fairly well. When these difficulties come in, it's like you, you, you must find the strength. But here's the thing. When you come into a difficulty and when you face a trial, the place that you go is not verse 13. It is not verse 13. But that's the place we always want to go. Because the legalist in us says, just, just give me something to do. Tell me how I'm going to fix this. You know, give me a strategy of attack. That is not where the power comes from. Commands don't give life. Commands direct life. Alright? Peter presupposes that spiritual energy has already been generated at this point. How do I know that? What is the first word of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13? Therefore. This is a letter. When the recipients of this letter got this letter, they started at verse 1, which wasn't verse 1 at the time, because that came a long time later. Alright? This was just a letter that they got. And so people would have gathered together and he, they began to read this letter and they would have read the whole thing through. Alright? So they didn't just do a kind of verse by verse exegesis like we do. Which is good and it's necessary and we see that throughout the Bible. But what I want you to get is, is that there's context here. Peter has been doing something. Peter has been walking them through this marvelous salvation. Look at this. In verse 1, he begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. You see what Peter's doing here? There is nothing, nothing, nothing about what these recipients are doing so far. It is, there's absolutely nothing about the acts of man. All throughout verses 1 through 12, Peter is recounting the mighty acts of God. The mighty acts of God. And he goes, for lack of a better term, all the way to eternity past, when God foreknew you, all the way to history, when God sanctified you by the Holy Spirit and set you apart, all the way to glory, to this, this inheritance, this imperishable and undefiled. And he is just laying down these mighty acts of God. And he comes down, he, he keeps going. In verse 5, he assures them that they're secure because God is protecting them through faith. You see that? He doesn't say, you are secure because you are so strong in your belief. And I've, just, I've got so much confidence that you can believe God. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Where is your confidence this morning? That you're going to be able to leave those doors right there believing God or that God is going to bring you through this? 
that God will supply faith. And that what you need to do is fill your mind with the mighty acts of God. He keeps going. In verses 8 through 9, you know, it, it almost sounds like that all of this will only be experienced at the second coming. He says, no, no, no. You know something of this mighty outpouring of the Spirit that causes you to have joy, unspeakable, full of glory. He keeps going on in verses um, 10 through 12. He wraps the whole thing up and this is what he says. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now that's amazing. That's amazing. A, a synonym for salvation. Grace. God in breaking into history. Grace. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, you, not just Peter's recipients, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through the through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Things in which angels long to look. Peter is saying there is something that has happened. God has broken into history. When man had utterly failed and broken every single covenant that God had made with him, God Himself came into history. How do we know? What is one of the names of Christ? Emmanuel. God with us. And every place that man failed, Christ triumphed. We see Christ being tempted out in the desert. Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden and they were full. They had food all around them. Christ is starving in the desert and Satan cannot conquer Him. He, he goes from that place in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this war that continues with him throughout his life. They, they, the, he says there in John chapter 6, he says he perceived that they were intending to come and make him king by force. Again, it's, it's just another way that the devil's trying to get to him to set up a physical kingdom so that he'll break covenant with his father. But Christ does not do it. The war finds its final point on the cross. And as all hell arrays itself against the Lord Jesus Christ. And He hangs there suspended between heaven and earth under the wrath of God. He bows and gives up the Spirit. And for a moment, it looks like that the seed of the serpent has finally beat the seed of the woman. But it is not true. Because you don't kill the Prince of Life. He could not stay dead. God raised him up. And a few days later, God brings him up into a glory cloud. You remember Acts chapter 1. He goes up in this glory cloud of the Shekinah glory and he takes his seat at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. In short, Jesus is Lord of all. And not only is He Lord of all, but He has taken people throughout history and transferred them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. They are, we are now in the kingdom of Christ. What does this mean? 
In this verse we just saw, in their historical setting, the prophets were looking forward to the glory that would come. We also see that the angels are looking back at the glory that came. Where do you stand? In the glory. In the glory. You are united with the risen Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You don't spend your time on earth looking up. You spend your time in heaven looking down. Alright? We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And as sure as you are one of His children, He will bring you through this trial. He is going to bring you through. There is not a chance in heaven or hell that you, if you are God's children, will not come through this trial that you're facing. How do I know this? Because Peter reassures them at the end of this letter. Just listen to this. 1 Peter 5.10 and following. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Fanny Crosby, All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of His love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed immortal, wings its flights to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. You're coming out. You're coming out. You will come out on the other side of this thing as sure as you are God's child. We sang it even earlier. When faced with trials on every side, what? We know (laughs) the outcome is secure. And so what must we do? When you get into a trial, do not go to verse 13. Go to verse what? (laughs) Alright? Think on the mighty acts of God throughout history. Get to know the mighty acts of God throughout history. See what He has done. Let the gospel get into you and you get into the gospel. And when that energy is generated through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the view begins to clear and you start to see the risen Christ in all of His glory, then you let the commands direct that power. Therefore, prepare your mind for actions. Start asking the question, alright, is this going to help me run, Lord Jesus? It's not. Go. I will have nothing to do with you. Lord, will this numb me? Will this sedate me? Will this just cause me to be in a daze? And the enemy come in and plunder my mind and you wake up worse off than you started? It will, it goes. It doesn't, it stays. You see this. You see this. There is so much glory here. Guard that vision. Guard that vision. Don't ever view self-denial as an end in itself. Only view it as opening up the shade because you want the light to come in because that's how you live. So you're just moving stuff out of the way to let the, the channels open up once again. And beloved... Hear me again. I want to say this. I want you to hear it. I want you to, I want you to see in the Word and I want you to hear it from the Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a day as sure as you are God's child when you will look back on this moment 
these trial that you're facing right now, and you will say, all the way my shepherd led me. Amen.